I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to open the Word of God together tonight. I hope you have a Bible. And if you do, we're going to be in Jeremiah 23. Uh, this is really, um, it's neat that we're studying this chapter um, while we're also doing our Sunday morning um, sermons about the names of God because this chapter would have been one of the chapters that I would have wanted to preach. Um, but uh, this chapter was a part of our Jeremiah study and I figured we'd get to it around this time. So it works out. This one is a little bit more of a, it, it's, it's um, a little bit more of a deeper conversation than what we would normally do on Sunday morning. So you guys were made for this, so y'all are getting a, an extra special edition of, of God Who tonight, um, also uh, in the, under the banner of our um, Jeremiah Bible study. So I hope you enjoy, um, hope you've enjoyed um, our time in Jeremiah. I know we've had a, very, a lot of challenging Bible studies, a lot of challenging conversations. I also believe we've found a lot of comfort and help from Jeremiah, and I believe that's kind of the balance that God's Word gives us. Um, I think uh, uh, you can probably say that 70% of God's Word is comforting. I think 30% is challenging. Even the challenging parts are still comforting, uh, of course. Uh, and, and I think that that kind of is how our, our sermons balance out. Now, if you've been here with our study in Acts lately, it's been a lot more challenging um, while also comforting. Uh, but I believe our Sunday morning conversations about the names of God have been very comforting. So it balances out, and that's what it means to follow the Lord, to, uh, to, to be taught by Him, uh, to find uh, help from Him, and also to find growth and to, to become uh, more like Him, which, uh, which means we will be challenged in our faith. But that is a part of growing as a believer. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to read the first eight verses of this text, and then we'll be skipping around to finish out the whole chapter. But I do encourage you to read, read the whole chapter. If you, get, uh, if you haven't already, I would encourage you to go home uh, the next day or two while it's still fresh on your mind and read this whole chapter as it's dealing with uh, the, the ungodly shepherds that have been leading the nation astray. And then Jeremiah is going to deal with the false prophets that have been countering him and making his ministry uh, more challenging than it would have been. So uh, the first eight verses kind of sets us up, though, and it gives us a, a very important name of God along with it. So Jeremiah 23, verse number 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, uh, against shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. They shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land." You've probably heard it said before, but with any, Bible, with any biblical text, excuse me, with any biblical text, there is one primary interpretation 
but there are many applications. So tonight, uh, we're going to be talking more about the spiritual application, but I want to address the historical interpretation, which most of us know. We've been talking about it. We've been previewing it. Last week with uh, the obituary of kings, if you will, we pretty much uh, saw the writing on the wall. Jeremiah has made it very clear that God is holding the leaders of Judah accountable, and they are going to be duly punished. The dynasty of David will be brought to an end, or more of a pause, but uh, in this version of Israel, or this version of Judah, the royal dynasty is coming to an end, and the Jews and the Hebrew people are going into exile. There would be no more kings from the lineage of, of Josiah. We talked about the kings Jehoaz, Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, and Zedekiah. Those kings have proved that they were not seeking the Lord and that they were ungodly and unfaithful, and God was bringing their reigns to an end one at a time. They showed their rebellion, and one at a time, God proved he was serious about his warnings. And of course, uh, the dynasty is coming to an end and the exile is going to begin. Uh, the exile began, the, the, the Jews began to be brought, taken to Babylon in 605, uh, but the full and final destruction of Jerusalem would take place in 586 BC. And then uh, about 70 years later, there would be a restoration of the land of Judah under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel. Uh, those three men would help rebuild and reestablish the nation of Judah, which is what this text talks about, how they will be brought back. No longer will it just be the people that came from Egypt, but it'll be a, re, a new exodus, a new uh, reestablishment of the land. As under Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, the land is repopulated, but we're also, we also get a picture of something a little bit farther out. Because, yes, the nation was regathered under Ezra and Nehemiah. Yes, Nehemiah was a descendant of David, but he was only a governor. He was not a king. So the, the dynasty of David had not yet been reestablished, but Jesus, of course, did come, the Messiah that we believe to, uh, who came from David. Jesus is the Messiah that is talked about in this text, yet he did not come in his first time to be king, but he came to be Savior. But there is a day coming eschatologically speaking, in the history, in the future of the world, and the, 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 the plan of God as he fulfills his promise to Abraham, there will be a millennial kingdom, a physical, literal kingdom of Israel, where Jesus will rule on this earth over all the other kingdoms of the earth. So the historical interpretation of this text is, there was an exile, the kings were, uh, the, the dynasty ended, the Messiah was promised, yet his first coming was not to fulfill this literal prophecy. His first coming was to fulfill a spiritual prophecy, which was to bring, as it's talked about in this text, salvation and righteousness to not just God, to the Jewish people, but to all people. So where we're going with this tonight is not necessarily in the confines of the historical interpretation, but we're going to talk about it under the spiritual application because the Messiah that is promised in this text, who does spiritually what God is going to do with the Jews physically, the Messiah is Jesus. He came, uh, of course, 2,000 years ago, and he came to save us from the shepherds like Zedekiah and like Jehoaz and like Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin. He came to save us from the inferior gods and inferior shepherds that we find ourselves serving and at the mercy of in this life. So we could say that Jesus is our Messiah who saves us from the inferior leaders of this world and what God is wanting to say to us tonight through this text, I believe, is he wants to liberate us from the unreliable shepherds that we find ourselves 
under the leadership of, sometimes against or you know, not at our will or against, you know, against what we would like. Sometimes, though, we place ourselves under the leadership and influence of people that, that we might can get away from. But either way, in this life, we will find ourselves at the mercy of unreliable shepherds more often than not. But Jesus is a Savior who can help us no matter what we're facing in this world. Now, the thing about the, the shepherds that we are under in this world, not only are they leading us away from what's right, here in number three in your notes, they not only lead us away from what's right, but they are actively leading us towards what's wrong. So that's something we need to be aware of and need to be mindful of. Not only are the people in this world that are leading us, the things that are leading us, the things that we follow, they are not only leading us away from the what's right, but they're also leading us towards what is wrong. Now, I want you to think about all the shepherds we have in life. Because we are all following somebody or something every single day. Every one of us, we follow something. We follow ideas. We follow institutions. We follow literal people. Again, sometimes against our own better interests, but sometimes we do it willingly. So I want to break it down into three verticals uh, to, to, to get us started tonight. Uh, number four, there are three different categories of shepherds that we fall under in this life. And I, the way I've labeled these or the way I've categorized these different shepherds, um, I've got superiors. Uh, and by superiors, our means the leaders in this life that we didn't necessarily ask for, but no doubt have an impact on us and no doubt navigate where we go and how we, in the steps that we take. Think your boss or think someone in your family, maybe a parent that doesn't necessarily serve the Lord, but you're at the mercy of their leadership and of their raising and still yet to respect them as you grow older. There are people in this life who are our superiors, the leaders of our country that we may not like, we may not support, we may wish we could get a better job or be in a better situation but the way things are going right now is we are where we are. So as we are under the superiors in this life that may not be ideal or may not be following God's word, how do we navigate life when we're under the, under the leadership of people that aren't following God? We're going to talk about that. The other kind of shepherd, the second kind of shepherd that we're under in this life are influencers. And by, these, by that I mean, these are the things and the people that we ally ourselves with willingly. We submit ourselves to willingly. These are the things that we plug into every day, the people that we listen to, the things that we believe in, the things that we allow to guide us and influence us and to, to get us passionate about this or that. The things that, that you know, whether it's a, a leadership or an institution, an idea, we all are influenced by people, places, and things, aren't we? And we make a choice. We, we are influenced by good things. Sometimes we're influenced by bad things. Even some of the good things we're influenced by may not be godly things. And we need to be able to, to, to separate the two things, don't we? So the, the third kind of leader or shepherd that we follow in this life is a little bit more, a little bit less physical and a little bit more emotional and a little bit more mental. And it could be physical. But what I, the way I call, categorize this is the suppressors of this life. These are the things that weigh you down, the things that hold you back, the things that you've submitted to and maybe you've accepted as masters over your mind. Maybe you've been through something and the byproduct of that experience is you've got a lot of baggage, you've got a lot of guilt or a lot of emotional anguish and you can't get away from it. And maybe some people can, but you haven't been able to break free from it so quickly or so easily. And maybe you are suppressed by that experience. And maybe it's a person, but nonetheless, it's more of an esoteric, more of a, a mental thing that is very much a, a, a weight on us and 
very much has an impact on our everyday lives. So I think when we think about these three kinds of shepherds that we deal with, these three kinds of leaders, whether we submit to them or not, or whether we voted for them or not, or whether we were, you know, would like to be where we are or not, there are three categories that we all deal with. In some cases, we can't get out from under these shepherds, while in other cases, we maybe can, maybe we can get free, but regardless, we have to learn that our earthly masters are not greater and they are not stronger than our heavenly masters. And that might be encouraging in some ways, but it might be convicting in other ways. Because whereas when we're under some, something that's suppressing us and something that's hard on us, it's relieving to know that God is greater. But when you're at the mercy of something, maybe an addiction or something that is overwhelming your, your, your mind or maybe something you've plugged into that you just can't get free from, maybe you don't think you need to get free from, when you hear that God is greater and stronger, that might be a little convicting, might it? So if you have a boss or maybe you have a struggle that you can't get away from, maybe it's someone in your family that you are called to love and support anyways, but they don't cooperate with you and they don't worship the Lord like you do. Maybe they don't go to church with you. They're not a Christian. So in these cases, number six, we have to learn to pray for them under superiors and suppressors. We must pray for or about them while seeking the Lord for true and better guidance because in some cases, that isn't going away. The superiors, they're not going away. I mean, we wish they would, but they're not. And maybe we can't get, we can't get away from them because of the dynamic of our families or our, ball, or, or our work situation or our country. These superiors, they're not going away. Or maybe these suppressors, the things that you deal with emotionally and mentally, it's not a light switch you can turn off. So while you try to work through this or wait it out, You've got to learn, we've got to learn to pray, and we've got to learn to seek the Lord because God is a shepherd for us greater than those other shepherds that might be leading us in the wrong way, in the long, to the wrong places. So God can help us, even though it may feel like there isn't a lot of help going for us right in front of us. But in the cases wherein we are actively submitting ourselves to things that don't have any real or true power over us, entertainment, hobbies, political leaders, these influencers. Under influencers, we must monitor our submission. Listen, not everything that you listen to and enjoy and plug into is wrong, but doesn't mean it's from God either. So we've got, we've got to monitor our submission to those things and beware our reliance and dependence on them because the more our flesh comes to rely on them, the more dependent we become on them and the more they influence us than God does. So we need to be aware of that. In some cases, we can't get free. But we trust the Lord to lead us to better than the bad shepherds that we didn't ask for. But in the ample areas of life where you have a choice, we must not bow to anybody but Jesus. Do you hear me on that? In the areas that you can't get free, in the areas where things just aren't changing or they won't change or they aren't going to change for a while, We've got to trust the Lord and trust that he's going to lead us to better places than the bad shepherds are trying to lead us to wrong places. But in the areas of our lives that we have a choice, in the areas that you know good and well, you can make a difference and you can make a decision to not follow and go that way anymore. We've got to ask ourselves, are we bowing to somebody besides Jesus? You see, there's kind of a two, dynamic, two different dynamics going on here. Under defiant superiors, may we trust the Lord for salvation and security. 
So if you have a parent or a loved one, a child, a boss, a political figure, and they are leading you or they're pulling your heart in the wrong direction, you didn't ask for this and you've prayed for the opposite. And, but you're biblically, you're called to respect and honor the people that, you are put, that are put in your life. In this area, you've got to trust God that he's going to give you salvation and security while you do the right thing. Now, there are cases that you have a wound, you have a struggle, where maybe some institution or, or system in society is working against you. Some, something that you went through before is, is holding you back. In this situation, we pray for change, we struggle under the burden, but under these crippling suppressors, we've got to learn to rely on God to shepherd and deliver us because God is greater than those suppressors. But under the manipulative influencers that we all plug into, the political, cultural, worldly systems that we've yoked ourselves to that have no biblical basis for being in charge of our lives, we need to take these idols and crush them before they crush us and sever the ties before they enslave us and trust in God alone. Verse 5 and 6 drives a firm truth in the ground. Jeremiah promises us, or God through him says, the days are coming that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. As in back in chapter 22, God says, I'm cutting you off, Jeconiah. I'm cutting off your lineage. But in verse 5, it says that the branch, the tree that was cut off and left to die, bloomed again. The branch of Jesse, the branch of David, of the line of Judah, a king will reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth in his days. Now that means not just in the future when God establishes a millennial kingdom, but in the days of Jesus' church that he established that is not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile as well, for you and for me. We can be saved and find safety. Spiritually speaking, we are in the same. Uh, we are addressed in verse number 6. We will be saved. We can dwell securely. This is his name by which he is, will be and is called the Lord our righteousness. Now, again, this ties in nicely to our Sunday morning conversations about the names of God. Now, this one is not as easy to remember as El Roy, the God who hears and the God who sees, as Yahweh Yaira, the God that provides, or Yahweh Rapha that we talked about Sunday, the God who heals. Um, which is why I reserve this one to a, to a Wednesday evening because you guys can handle this. Um, so my Hebrew is very bad, so God f- forgive me for, for not being the best. And this is actually the hardest letters to pronounce in Hebrew. But in your notes here, verse number, at number 10, um, the, the Hebrew here, for the Lord our righteousness, the, the word is Yahweh said can you. Now, if I did a, my Hebrew accent, it would not sound as good, but it, would, it, might not be as, it might not be as proper as it should be. But um, the T-S is a Hebrew word, sadi, um, that you, you kind of have to say T and S at one time, and that doesn't come out very well for English speakers. So, um, said canoe, so T-S-I-D is pretty much sounds like said, and then canoe is, is, is pretty much uh, easy, pretty easy. So, Yahweh said canoe, the Lord our righteousness And that tells us that God is our defender. God justifies us before evil that accuses us, before evil that says you can't do better than me, before evil that says I own you and control you and you've got to follow me. God frees us from that by defending us and justifying us. He justifies us from emptiness as well as in the world says you need this to make you happy, you need this to find peace, you need this to find security. God says, no, 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 you've got me. 
So Yahweh said, Canoe, the Lord, our righteousness, defends us from evil, defends us from emptiness, but also, most importantly, defends us in eternity. We'll get to this in a minute, but when we stand before God, we have a righteous standing. And that's the only thing that's going to give us eternal security. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, the reason why this is, is, is really important here is the name for God here is a play on the, the, the last king of Judah that, that Jeremiah is preaching to. Zedekiah, if you look at number 11, Zedekiah's name is a form of Sedkenu. And you can kind of see how we get Zedekiah from all those jumbled up letters that make no sense. Um, Zedekiah, you can, you can, now that you know how to pronounce the, the T-S, Zedekiah, which is the T-S-I-D-Q-I-Y-Y-A-H. Thank God that English, uh, thank God that we can actually read our, our Bibles, because if it was in Hebrew, people like me that's taken four years of it could, would still not be able to get you through it. Um, but uh, Zedekiah, um, his name means uh, God is righteous. So Zedekiah hadn't been doing a good job at pointing to God or being righteous in, before God. So God was going to send somebody to do, it, to do a better job, and that's, of course, Jesus. So Zedekiah was evil in his intent. He was empty in his influence, and he was preventing them from finding, finding true and eternal life. So God sent a Messiah to do what Zedekiah could not do and what any king can't do of this world. Now, to punctuate the difference between the coming Messiah and their current king, God refers to the Messiah by a name that is a play on Zedekiah, but ultimately trumps Zedekiah. Again, Zedekiah's name means Yahweh is righteous, as in he was supposed to be pointing to the righteous God, yet he wasn't. But the good thing about the Messiah, he wasn't just going to point us to God, he would bring God to us and bring us to God. So I'm glad we don't, have to, we don't have to worry about somebody pointing us and then us having to go the way on our own or get there on our own. Every other religion is you climb the mountain and figure it out, figure your way up there. But Christianity is God came down the mountain and took you up there. Yahweh comes to us through Jesus. He is God with us and he is God's righteousness for us. As in Jesus is our righteousness from God. We are righteous in him and because of him and through him. Now this prompts a very important question that we're going to talk about for a few minutes uh, that we need to understand to make sense of all this. I've asked it at verse at number 13. Why do we need God's righteousness? Now you know this because you're a Christian. You've been in Sunday school all your life and you know the Bible. But maybe somebody's going to ask you sometime, hey, why do I need to be righteous? I mean, what, what, what's unrighteous about me or why do I need a righteous standing from God? Why do we need God's defense? So this is a legal term. This is a courtroom term. Righteousness or justification. Why do I need God's defense before the enemies of this world? Before his eternal throne, more importantly. Why do we need God's vindication against the enemies that enslave us? Or why do we need a right standing from God when we stand before him one day in eternity? Now, when we read Jeremiah and talk about the ungodly king versus the coming Messiah, we talk about the things that wrongly lead us in this life, the superiors, the influencers, the suppressors. It, it may be easy to assume that left to ourselves, we're neutral, that either we're led by the wrong thing or we're led to God in the right way, but that isn't the case. We are not neutral. Left to ourselves, we are unrighteous. 
which explains our tendency, which explains our vulnerability before evil tyrants, which is why we get defeated and discouraged when somebody big and bad rises up and says, hey, I'm in charge and you've got to do what I say. The reason why we fall and we faint at, before evil is because we are unrighteous. We don't have a defense in and of ourselves. The reason why we get scared before things and people that we don't understand or that we don't feel like are for us is because we have no defense in and of ourselves. We feel vulnerable and we feel as if our lives are on the line, and they are in our own skin. So we are unrighteous, which means we have no defense against the devil. We have no defense against the enemy. We have no ability to resist being enslaved, which explains our sin which explains our fear, which explains our, you know, our, our, our defense mechanisms, trying to do what we can to, to build up a fort. It doesn't work. It explains our vulnerability, but it also explains our temptation to trust in idols, doesn't it? See, we're unrighteous. We have no defense, so we try to find something to defend us. We build idols and we worship them, hoping they get in between us and the enemy or they get in between us and our fear, but they don't work, do they? They extract more from us than they do for us, but they don't do anything for us. But they take a lot away from us. We are born with a drift and a bent towards sin because we are born unrighteous, separated from God because of original sin. That's a big theological term that everybody has probably heard of before. Original sin means that we have sin within us from our origin. It came from Adam. Adam sinned, and when Adam sinned, all of humanity sinned with him. You aren't you are born a sinner. It's not fair, but fairness went out the window in Eden. Adam and Eve sinned, and it was all downhill for the rest of humanity. There was something so intrinsic with the design of the human soul that when Adam and Eve fell in their pure form, it cursed the very DNA of humanity as they gave themselves over to the enemy, and their souls were tarnished and were fallen. We are born with this original sin. We are inherited this condition. Our natural inclination of our hearts, remember Jeremiah 17, 9? Our, our, the inclination of our heart is evil. Noah, or, or God told that to Noah back in Genesis 6. The intent of their heart is only evil continually. The inclination of our heart is to choose wrong and do wrong. Now, y'all don't need me to explain this to y'all because you know this from experience, don't you? But Isaiah 64, verse number 6, we've heard this scripture before. But we are all like an unclean thing. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. Our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. God's law partly testified to God's holy standard. The reason why God gave the law, the number one reason, yes, it's to teach you what, what is wrong and what is right, but the main reason for the law is to show God's holy standard and to show how we don't meet it and we don't measure up to it. To show you that you're never going to measure up to it. The reason why they trembled when he gave it is because they realized we can't accomplish it. And you know this, and anytime anybody comes to you with legalism, you remind them of this. The very next chapter that God gave the law, or a few chapters later, but still, when God gave the law in Exodus 20 through 23, you know what comes next? The sacrificial system. Because the law was given with the understanding that you're going to break it. So again, it wasn't given so you might measure up to God by obeying it. Yes, it's true, and yes, it's the right thing to do, but we can't keep it in and of ourselves. We'll only break it. So the sacrificial system was given to atone for our sin until a way came for us to overcome our sin. 
So a better, better reflection of God's standard is Jesus who testifies and modeled God's standard. Unlike the law, which just said this is what's right, this is what's wrong. Jesus came and did what's right and didn't do what's wrong and then died for what's wrong. He took the curse of our unrighteousness. Verse, or Romans chapter 3 details that like this in verse uh, 21, 23. Here in your notes. You can, you can look at it. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So the law showed it, but here's something better. The law and the prophets bear witness to this. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So Jesus revealed God's righteousness, and we, by trusting in him, can receive God's righteousness. But the reason why we need it, for, uh, verse 23 tells us, for there is no distinction, there's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we can only be made righteous through Jesus Christ. So whether you believe you were born a sinner or not, some people get in arguments about this, but here's the thing, I'm not going to die on that hill. It's, you were born with it, but that's the whole, if you, don't, if you don't believe that, from your earliest memories, you clearly are aware that you have, you, you've been sinning all your life, right? So whether you were born with it or not, you can remember way back to your childhood of doing the wrong thing. So at some point in your life, you sinned. And since then, you've sinned a few times too, haven't you? We were born with it. But regardless of whether you believe that or not, you stumbled into it very quickly. We are all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God. There's none that does good. No, not one. So, you know, if, as if this is a big statement coming from me, but number 17, we need a Savior. We're unrighteous. And we are going to be condemned before God and lost for eternity apart from Jesus. So why do we need to be made righteous? Because we are unrighteous. What are the consequences for being unrighteous? Condemnation and eternal, eternal hell, eternal suffering. That is the consequences of being unrighteous, and that's why we need to be made righteous. We can't earn it. We receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as believers, we still struggle not to trust in idols and lean on this world, don't we? Now, when you believed in Jesus for the first time, you received righteousness, you were saved, and nothing can take that from you. But even as a Christian, you still struggle with these sinful tendencies. That's why the Bible doesn't just stop at John three sixteen, right? There's more because we need more. We need help. We need guidance, which is why we must always bring ourselves under God's word and always filter the works, words and works of this world through the Bible. We will be tempted to trust in one of the many, many voices in this world that tell us otherwise and that attempt to keep us entangled or re-entangle us with sin. Jeremiah fought against false prophets his entire ministry, which is what we're going to focus on for the remaining few minutes. Those who came alongside him, came in after him, countered what he said with their own take or their own spin, always with a very clear agenda. Much like the serpent in Genesis 3 said, did God actually say that? Jeremiah fought against these pro false prophets who came in and said, did God really say that? Did Jeremiah really speak for God? We don't think so. It's important that we know how the enemy works so that we'll cling to the righteousness we find in God and not fall for his devices, even if it sounds good to us, because a lot of times it does. I want you to listen real quickly to Jeremiah's remarks about the false prophets that combated his ministry. Look at verse 13. I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal. They caused my people of Israel to err. Verse 16. 
The Lord of hosts says, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictate of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. So they were confirming the people's intentions. They were confirming the sinful intentions and saying, hey, you don't need God to tell you that's wrong. Do what you feel is good. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Well, Jeremiah had. And Jeremiah says, these people do not speak for God. They are not, they haven't been in the counsel of God. Of course, Jeremiah had. Now, I could go across the gamut here if we had all night, and we don't, and I won't. But there are a lot of ideas about every area of life, opinions from religious types, self-help gurus, politicians, the business world. You ask 100 people, hey, what, what is, how, how does marriage work? And they'll tell you what they, that what they think you know, is the right way. You ask people about finances, they'll tell you what they think about finances, and they'll give you advice about finances, and they'll tell you all the things you need to do. But ultimately, God's Word tells us the right way. At the end of the day, that's the only way that's going to work. On a whole other page, our culture has went off the deep end lately when it comes to God's sovereign and unique design for, for genders, for instance. Of course, there are grotesque tragic trappings in the world that lead people to twist their understanding of who God made them to be and who God made them to be with. The Bible is so simple and its guidance is so fulfilling. It's easy for me to say I've never struggled with some of those things. But I think a good conclusion for us to make in number 21 is we must stand for what's true while graciously extending a hand to those who have believed the lies because there's a lot of people who have. And if not for the grace of God, we would believe more than we already have. We believe plenty, though. We fall for the lies that this world is all that we have. We fall for the lies that this country is all that we have. We fall for the lies that, uh, that, that if certain things don't happen, then we won't have a future. Now, I don't know what's going to happen on this side of eternity, but I do know that we're just traveling through this world, and this is not my home forever. And I don't know if I'm going to make it through in one piece, but I know where I'm going when I come to an end. The devil tries to get us to think that our hopes, and our, our hopes rise and fall with the flags of mere mortals. He tries to get us to think that what we see or what we feel is all that we have to go on, but we know that's not true. We know the Bible tells us there's a better way. Yet we just as easily fall for lies that our world tells us that, uh, that or tells, tells us that we have no hope. God, of course, tells us otherwise. But the reason why we do is because we're not righteous. We're, we're, we're weak. We're vulnerable. You know, I've got a point. I make a point here in, in our notes that I won't go over for sake of time. You know, there's a part of our country that thinks it's just completely fine to, to abort children. You know, they think it's fine, but they act like they're, they're more righteous than us because they care for certain groups of people. But then there's also people in our country that, that defend the unborn, but we don't really think it's a big deal about caring for those that are weaker and in need. Well, Jeremiah tells us in chapter 24 that we should do both, or verse 7, chapter, chapter 7, verse 5 and through 7. Jeremiah makes it very clear. Don't oppress the sojourner. Don't oppress the fatherless. Don't oppress the widow. Don't shed innocent blood. So we often forget certain things the Bible says, don't we? My point is this, we often pick and choose what we want to obey and what we want to believe when we have the whole Word of God, and we need to listen to all of it. Not just what sounds good to us or what feels good to us or what lines up with our policies and our ideas, 
For too long we've stood by and let false prophets do all the talking in this country. We need to speak God's word because those we've been trusting and only seem to care about the parts that are convenient for their agendas. We can answer verse, 15, verse 18. We have been in the counsel of God. We have the counsel of God. It's here waiting on us. Now part of the reason we can't go out and solve the world's problems is because we live in a glass house. Our churches have been infiltrated by false prophets who come in Jesus' name. Jesus said, many will come in my name. And 2 Timothy 3 gives a few examples of what people will believe in these perilous times. I've heard that chapter preached more than, uh, than most texts in my life. But I always found a way of turning it on everyone but me. Funny how our hearts work, isn't it? But I read that chapter and I've bolded a few things that convict me while I left some things off that I would be more, I would spend more time preaching because those are the things that I don't struggle with. But nonetheless, we all have that nature that God's word addresses and gives us a better way to follow. Look at verse 21 through 22 and we'll close. God said, I've not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I've not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they stood at my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned from them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Jeremiah goes on to say that these people claim they've had these special visions from God, special dreams from God. But, you know, I, I have heard people in Jesus' name who wear microphones like me I've heard false prophets try to say that as America goes, so goes the kingdom of God. I've heard false prophets say that if you're truly in God's will, you only have wealth, health, and prosperity. I've heard false prophets say that Jesus isn't enough. You need traditions and rituals and sacraments to go along with him. I've heard false prophets say that being in Christ doesn't mean that you need to be in church, even though if you're in Christ, you're in his body, and if you're in his body, you're in his church. I've heard false prophets add to and take away from Scripture. And to be honest, most of them don't know the Bible enough to know what they've taken away. They just know what they're adding. You know, my job is not to preach what I've dreamed up. My job is not to preach what sounds good or feels good to me. God's Word is our only hope, not man's ideas. And that's what I and we must preach. You know, I've learned that the Bible offers me much more comfort than I could ever dream up. The Bible's challenges ultimately improve my life more than a life free of challenges would. I, I, look at, I love this in, at number 28. God's yeses are better and his no's lead to much better than any yes from this world. I hope that makes sense. God's yeses are better than this world's yeses and God's no's lead to much better than this world's yeses ever could. If I want to see his glory and experience his peace and goodness, I'll go with him on every issue, not just some. I'll submit to him rather than resisting him. I'll delight in his will rather than deceiving myself. I'll accept his will rather than trying to brute force my own way and finding disappointment. Down in verse 36, God addresses these that have their own oracles or make up their own oracles from God or their own ideas from God. The oracle of the Lord shall you shall mention no more, for every man's word will be his oracle. For you have perverted the word of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. He addresses the fact that we all kind of make up what we want to be so in our heads, and we think that's God's will and that's God's way. And I'm not knocking y'all, I do it. 
We kind of take God's word and hold it sideways and say, well, this is what I wanted to say or what I want to believe. We put our own opinions in God's mouth. We, the church, need to mourn for those that have followed the wrong way, and we need to make following God's way our, our one priority. We need to point to Jesus and model what it means to love him and follow him and show our world that he loves them by showing them his love through us. We need to empty our minds of our ways and our words. We need to unfollow the suppressors and the influencers and the superiors of this life. Whether they have control over us or not, we need to put our faith in Jesus as our greater guide and master. Because there's only one way. It's not through me, it's not through y'all, as much as I love you. It's not through America, it's not through Baptist or Protestantism. It's not through anybody's way, but it's only through Jesus' way. Some of our ways might overlap, but let's not get distracted. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our righteousness. If we need salvation to get through this life, let's not step out of it ever. Because only Jesus can defend us from the enemy and defend us from hell and if he is required to save us, then let's stand behind him and let him speak for us every single occasion. Because that's the only way we're going to get through this life. And that's the only way we're going to make a difference. By going with what God has said and standing with who God has said is the only and true way. Jesus, our righteousness from God. I hope and pray that you're encouraged by God's word and his defense for you. And I pray that you'll find your refuge in Jesus. He can defend you. He will defend you. And he will give you the words to say. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, there are times that I want to pick and choose what I prioritize. There are times I want to pick and choose what side I'm on. And I want to put certain words in your mouth and I want to keep certain words out of my mouth. But God, what we've learned tonight is the false prophets of Jeremiah's day tried to do that and they tried to take the responsibility away from the people that you had laid on them. God forbid we do that. God forbid we turn and trust in anything else because you've showed us in this text that there's only one shepherd that can save us. There's only one leader that can lead us to the right place and that's Jesus. We are under so many different influencers and so many different shepherds in this world and Jesus breaks us free from those. He gives us righteousness where those took it away from us. God, help us to stand for what's right. Help us to lean on the everlasting word of God and help us to, to, to preach the word in a loving way, but in a very clear and, 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 and firm way that says we're not gonna change what God has said because we can't change uh, the, way it, the way he's required us to be saved. And the only hope we have is by going through Jesus and by going through God's word. God, thank you so much for this lesson tonight. Thank you for our church. May you use this to lead, guide, and direct every one of us to free us from those shepherds that are unreliable and to lead us through Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name.